Hello, everyone. This is uh, WCCS podcast, A Moment in History. This will be our 15th episode. My name is Harrison Zyberg, and if my guests would like to introduce themselves. Hi, I am Chris Freitas. I'm sitting here with Deb Freitas, and we are both attorneys in the juvenile court. Now, the first question I like to ask to start everything off is, is usually, um, do you remember the first moment that you learned you would be going or the courts are going to be closed for you because of COVID? Yes, we learned on Sunday night um, through an emergency memo that was distributed to everyone letting us know to not come in to court for our Monday cases. It was unusual because we had both been in court on Friday yeah, and we had cases in on Monday and we had just been um, talking with clients, reminding them about court. Um, and then we had to contact everyone um, probably close to like 9 or 9.30 to let them know that do not come to court tomorrow. Now, could you um, tell us a little bit about what your jobs would entail before COVID and before everything happened? Yeah, so we do work um, in the child welfare and juvenile justice uh, world. So we do delinquency cases as well as care and protection cases, CRAs, and so we work with families and children to help resolve their cases and also put them in a better life spot, trying to resolve the issues that actually brought them into the court. So that requires a lot of one-to-one -one action and uh, meetings. And so on a day-to-day -day basis, that might look like being in court in the morning and then in the afternoon, going out to visit with clients, whether they're kids or adults, or having them come to our office for uh, a meeting and then drafting motions um, into the afternoon. And then um, when you moved on to, or when the courts closed, how, what changed about your job? What different things did you have to do? What were the difficulties with that? If you can tell us about that. So everything changed once COVID came around. We were no longer really able to do visits. A lot of the kids that we have are in DCF custody. And so they, a lot of them are placed in what's called congregate care, which is a shared living environment. So those kids visiting them meant a chance that we could spread COVID into that entire group care setting. So we couldn't do that anymore. As far as our office practice, we actually transitioned more to a home office, which is something very different than what we had been doing because we had an office close to the court. Um, and so that meant physically transferring our case files, um, notepads, pens, and computers to our home office. So, um, it's been a real transition. Our office was equipped to be a high-speed law office, and we were primarily electronic and electronic files, which made the transition easy. But at home, we don't have the type of broadband speed that we do at the office. In terms of court, initially, when the pandemic first was acknowledged and the courts were closed, there was no real way to get heard except through like a telephone line. And it took a while for the court to then gather a Zoom license, although we were able to integrate Zoom into client meetings and attorney conferences um, pretty shortly, but cases began to be backed up pretty quickly unless they were defined as an emergency. And were there any um, preparations for, from the court for, for COVID? Because as much as it, everything shut down fairly quickly, but COVID had been in the news for weeks or even months before. And so was the court prepared at all for the shutdown that did happen? Well, we noticed initially that there was hand sanitizer uh, in some of the courtrooms that had been put out probably within a month of the, a month before the court closed. 
But aside from that, I don't think that um, they were technologically up to speed with what would be necessary to do primarily electronic court proceedings. And what was the most difficult part about the job, I guess, under these new circumstances for each of you? So being um, a juvenile and child welfare attorney is often a very interpersonal practice. It's not something that you really do from a distance. So I think that the greatest transition was suddenly not being with people, not helping them through certain events in their life or helping them fill out their paperwork or helping them make a resume. We had to do it all from a distance now. We also I took for granted, I think, that how much stuff actually gets done in person while in court. So conferences about cases and potential dispositions and just having normal conversations with clients, none of those things were happening. We also, I think, took for granted uh, on the record in court how easy it is to tell from people's body language uh, when they were making objections at a hearing and you knew when to pause so that that person could be heard and the judge could make a ruling. Those types of things became a lot harder when we started doing virtual hearings or even worse, telephonic hearings. Did hearings, um, as the month progressed, did hearings get easier over Zoom or over the phone or was it always the same difficulties just throwing themselves up? Like, was the system able to adapt? Yeah, so it adapted as much as it could. I think phone is still really difficult, but um, you know, the court got more and more experience in setting out rules up front and telling attorneys how to manage, even if the attorney had never done one or had done fewer hearings in the past. I think that Zoom um, has really been a great opportunity because you're at least able to see body language from the neck up. And uh, it also, we've had a lot of training from the um, Committee for Public Counsel Services, which is the indigent representation uh, agency in Massachusetts, which is trying to get us all up to speed as quickly as possible so that there's not a major delay. Now, um, you talked a lot about interactions with your clients and how that changed because of um, COVID. I know you probably can't get into specifics about individual clients, but I guess in a general sense, what were your clients thinking or feeling during this time? I guess knowing that they were both going through a pandemic, but also not going to be like the system that they're in just shut down? I think it varied on where a client was placed. So if they were in their home, um, they were more comfortable and able to rely on their family to help them manage their anxiety, even if they were less able to be out in the community with their friends. If they were in secure detention, for example, that my clients were much more anxious because it's um, not a place where they can easily access their parents or other resources. And since it's more enclosed, there is a risk that once it's in the facility that they could very well get it from the same staff members. And particularly for kids that were in uh, state custody, so like DCF custody, those kids had a really hard time because automatically in-person visits stopped. And so all of a sudden, the only way to connect with family that you had been visiting in person with two, three times a week, at least once a week, became all virtual. And that's really difficult, especially for younger kids who don't have a lot of uh, experience with screen time and also for kids with disabilities. And do you think, um, I guess I talked about Zoom calls, but was the system, or sorry, I'm trying to think of the right words for this. But was the system able to adapt itself to the needs of those children in the last few months? Or has it really been, a, have the children, I don't know if suffering is the right word, but I'll say suffering in the last few months because of whatever what has been happening. 
I think this is a whole new world for a lot of the state agencies. I think that um, there's an effort to try to do the best that we can, but I'm not sure that virtual contact is the same as in-person visitation. And it, the system has been slow to reintegrate that back into regular practice. And we don't know what the effects of that will be into the future. Now courts are in the past few weeks, um, courts along with a lot of other places in the states have been starting to reopen. I guess what are your initial feelings on the reopening and do you think the court's plans are good enough to maintain safety? Courts used to be a very social place. On Mondays in particular, the court used to be packed uh, with attorneys, clients, family members, and now we're getting to the point where everyone basically realizes there can be no social gatherings like that. And so the court has been trying to bring in just emergency cases. Different courts are uh, implementing different practices, which make that a little less true. Some are allowing more people in the building than others. I think initially attorneys have been a little bit concerned that we still really don't have enough information about how COVID acts in, inside buildings that uh, has made us worry a little bit about how our clients in detention, whether they will become exposed, whether the ventilation is adequate, because cases may only be heard for maybe 10 minutes, sometimes a hearing for one or two hours, but how long does that air stay in circulation before you can bring in another case and not expose anyone else on that new case? And I think one thing that we have to realize is that the age and physical plan of the courthouses in Massachusetts are all extremely different. So there is no one, one size fits all solution and the rollout has been comparable in that it's not the same people or the same administrators uh, working in each of the courthouses. So I think the experiences have been varied. If you could pick one courthouse in particular, could you just describe the process that they've gone through? And just like, just one of the courthouses. So um, the one that we're in most frequently is the Lowell Juvenile Court. And quite for, I mean, I guess it's, it's fortunate because it's a very new building. In fact, uh, we were scheduled to enter the new building on the Monday that court closed. So many of us had never been in that building before. So currently the process involves limiting the number of people who can come into the building. And since it's a multi-court complex, meaning we have superior court, district court, and the juvenile court all there, that we have to limit the amount of people who can come in at any time. So it begins with a screening by the court officer to check your temperature and a few COVID-related screening questions. From there, if you do not have a temperature, you are allowed upstairs because we limit the amount of people who, come, who can come in. They usually want to know that you're there for a case and they're asking us to show up about 30 minutes before we actually have an appearance in front of the judge just to make sure that we can clear security and can be let in because at this point even the attorneys are also being screened for safety so it's not just a matter of walking in with our case file showing our IDs and, and getting in the building. And uh, with the reopening plans do you well normally when I've asked this question it's been about the college's reopening plans and different people have decided to go back or to stay home um, if you had the choice to still do all of your work remotely and from your home, would you take it? Well, I think there's a lot of considerations that have to go into making that decision. For us, we're concerned because clients who are in detention, if they come out of their secure facility and are transported with other people who might have uh, even 
symptoms that aren't being able to be detected yet, they may spread it unknowingly to our client, which would then put them in a quarantine back at the facility. And quarantine in secure detention can look a lot more like, um, like segregation. And so that's always a consideration to think about whether we're ready to go back to the way things were. There's a lot of things that have improved because we're able to now do our jobs remotely. And that includes being able to attend more things. We can have more client meetings because we're not spending that time traveling. Um, and we're also able to get to a lot more motion writing because again, we just go from sitting in front of a Zoom camera to back to the motion. I think that it's, it's a difficult decision and it's one that I think different people are making differently and even maybe on a case-by-case -case basis. Because realistically, I think that the great majority of the Indigenous defense work in Massachusetts is done by private practitioners who contract with the state. And as a result, though, that means that they don't get sick time when they're ill or vacation time that's paid. So if they were to become ill, their income is, is jeopardized. And the same is actually true for our clients as well, who often live paycheck to paycheck. And if they were to become ill or had to quarantine for two weeks, it's possible that they would lose their only income stream, which might jeopardize their housing and their ability to keep their kids in their custody. So it's a difficult decision that I think each attorney is making really conscientiously with the input of their client and how safe they feel and their ability to withstand a quarantine if they needed to do it. I know you just mentioned how like some aspects of having to work remotely have given you extra time to do different aspects of your job. Do you think, um, has there been an aspect of your job that has changed in the past few months that you think will continue when things go back to normal? Or do you see completely returning to what it was like before? No, I don't think we'll ever go back to what it was before. I think that um, what we're learning is that we can actually, in some ways, be more efficient if we don't require, you know, 50 clients and 100 attorneys to appear at the same, at the same day, at the same time, at the same place. That realistically, if we might only manage half as many cases in the first hour or two, we might try staggering cases differently. We've also been able to send in a lot of our motions electronically which has helped them be docketed more quickly. And we've received uh, signed copies back pretty efficiently. The court in the meantime for Zoom has implemented known times when your case is gonna be called. So we're told to use you know, session seven link at 10.15. And that was clarity that we didn't have pre-COVID. We used to get into court at 9 a.m. and then your case got called when your case got called. And so in that way, it gives our clients a little bit more certainty and less anxiety just hanging around waiting for their case to be called. And it has an extra benefit in that, you know, previously, if you had a court date, you'd have to take your entire day off of work if you're a client who had to appear. And now, knowing that you're supposed to appear at 10.15, you could probably go to work, just take a break during that time and then return to work. So it has less of an economic impact as well, which is positive. If there was, if there is an aspect of how things used to work before um, remote working, which would you want to come? Which one of those aspects would you want to come back first? So, I know that one thing that I hope does not stay is doing trials by Zoom. I, I think that it really is an in-person thing that needs to happen. It's jury trials or bench trials. It benefits us all to be in the courtroom at the same time. But things like more routine pretrial conferences, um, I, I don't see why we couldn't do that electronically and be more efficient and have less impact um, on our clients by doing it electronically. 
I also think one thing that everybody misses is in-person visits, the ability to do in-person visits, even in congregate care settings. And we all recognize how important it is to just be around people who love us and not just over a screen, but in person, doing things together uh, and hugging and showing other types of affection. There's no substitute for that. I think that people really underestimated the value of a hug until COVID prevented you from giving one for months. Mm -hmm. Now, if you could tell anyone in like 10 years when they're looking back at this time period, because most likely this year will be written about quite a lot. What would you want to tell them either about your own personal experiences during this time or your experiences through your job at the courthouses? If there is anything you'd want to tell them. I mean, I'd want to tell them that public health matters and that we have to let go of some of the stigmas that we may not be used to in order to make sure that we get through these things together. And so if, I could go back, I would, you know, urge people to wear masks earlier on because so much could have been prevented if, if we had taken the intense spread of COVID more seriously before it became a major outbreak in Massachusetts and set so many lives into jeopardy. I think that along those lines, I think that we live in an increasingly global economy and a global society. And so we have to stop looking at problems as problems in China or problems in Italy and problems in France and start looking at them as worldwide problems. And if we did that, if we took that view more often, we probably would have been better prepared for the same diseases being here. Um, you just mentioned um, stigmas. I was wondering if you could tell me what stigmas you meant by that. Yeah, so uh, in general, we have spent almost no time wearing masks before COVID existed and to the point where it can feel weird or people, you feel judged that maybe you have uh, an illness or something that makes you put on a mask and that is not right. We should be able to wear masks if that's what it takes to keep everyone protected. Now I had meant to ask this question earlier and if I have already asked it, you can tell me. But go back to like reopening courts and being in person. For you personally, do you have any fear in going back? Is there like, are you caught? I know you're probably cautious in going, but is there the fear when you step out the door not knowing what's gonna happen? I think we've been um, pretty good about socially distancing ourselves and reducing our trips to things like supermarkets. So I think that, you know, just naturally there is a bit of anxiety about suddenly being in a place with other people for a significant amount of time, not just passing and being indoors in those places. Being an attorney specifically in court versus other types of roles, we also have a lot of increased contact with other people. It's just part of our job to exchange papers, to uh, exchange pens so someone can sign something that day. And that of course increases exposure risk as well. And so we're still trying to figure out the best way to limit that while still being effective at doing our jobs. And have your clients expressed any fear in coming into court? Yeah, so they um, they've had questions about what it looks like, and you know, I think many honestly have opted to continue appearing virtually, not knowing exactly how the virus is spread, and not necessarily wanting to come into contact with um, folks who could even be asymptomatic, and then later learn that they are ill. Now. 
in the last, obviously, a lot of things have changed. There's a lot of news in the past four months. Um, has there been anything, I guess, has the courts been able to give you a clear message on how things are going to happen in the last few months and going forward? Has it been sort of mixed at times? Uh, it's it's really difficult because initially it didn't feel like we had a strong plan. And so the court did the best they could with the technology and services that they had in place at the time. Uh, unfortunately, the workload that we had back then, the caseload, required us to be in person. So when that couldn't happen, a lot of things uh, were not able to be done. What the court has rolled out is essentially a phased reopening, but it hasn't meant the same thing in every court which has caused confusion and I think increased anxiety as well. So for example, in some courts, only emergency matters come in or custodial um, arraignments, so where someone is in custody and has been arrested, for example, brought to the courthouse. In other courts, all arraignments, whether they were summons or via detention, are being held. And that's led to some confusion and anxiety. Now, if you had, if you were the sole people who could decide on how the courts would reopen, what would your ideal way of seeing it be? Well, I think ideally we would want to collect a little bit more information about the ventilation indoors, keep watching the data that's coming out of indoor dining, because it's not unlike that in that people could be in the courthouse for an hour, maybe more, and uh, start making plans that you know they are seeing implemented in other indoor uh, areas. And in as much as cloth face masks can reduce the incidence of virus spreading, I think the evidence is pretty clear N95s are really the superior option. So it would be great if the public defender agencies or the court itself or some group mounted an effort to really spread those types of masks to our clients and staff of the courthouses and the attorneys going in, since I do think it would lead to better protection. Ideally, I do think there are some matters that can be continue to be addressed virtually and it's more convenient for both our clients and for the safety of those who I think those matters have to go forward in person like trials. So is everyone who goes into court um, are they are they required to bring their own mask or are there masks that can be provided to them? So what we've been told is that the court does have masks for those who do not have them. And those, I assume that would include clients as well as all the people who work there? I believe they're at the front door. I believe it's the typical standard, you know, paper mask that you would see at a hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, is there anything else that I haven't brought up that you would like to talk about? It doesn't have to be about courts. It could be really about anything. No, I think you've done an excellent job, Harris. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to share our thoughts. Yeah. So then... um, as my next question is, what do you think the next steps are, should be going forward? Either Again, that can be for yourself, fellow attorneys, courts, whatever way you want to interpret it. So I think one part of things moving forward is that we have to continue to increase access to testing. And not just like one test per person, but it could be as much as one test per day per person. That's the way to limit spread and truly make sure that everyone uh, who is potentially infected can maintain the safety of others in addition to getting the medical treatment necessary for themselves. And I think we also have to start seeing technology as um, a basic human right and ensure that everyone has access to it if we're gonna transition ourselves to a more virtual environment. So that means 
everyone who has the potential to be involved in the, in the court system should have access to a low cost or free device to access the internet and the internet itself. Actually, um, I should have asked about this, but so for some of your clients, if they've been unable to afford different ways to call in, either by call or Zoom, how have they been able to participate in the court process if they haven't had the resources to do that? We've had um, a great charity called One Can Help. Uh, it's a nonprofit who is actually has a bunch of juvenile court attorneys on its board who have been able to supply clients with technology in order to um, access the court system. We've also been able to be in person with the client. So I'll bring my cell phone and we'll appear together um, for an interview or whatever is necessary. So the courts themselves didn't supply a way for people to actually be a part of the court process? Not right now. But it's a great argument mm -hmm. that if the court is going to go online, they should be required to provide people the very basic things necessary in order to participate in their hearing. And do you find that, is that a, a bigger problem? I don't know if you know this, between adults, you find it especially hard with juveniles not having access to resources. I, I think, to be honest, it's probably a money problem. They just don't have the money to provide technology to everyone who needs it. When kids were in school, they were able to use the Chromebooks that they were issued from their school district, but those kids have had to return that technology back to the school. So during the summer months, they struggle in the same way as their parents had struggled before. I meant to um, ask this, but for people, I know courts are usually open. I know it's different with juvenile, but are there any restrictions on families coming in to see cases or are they kept out? I know with different restrictions. So we've had different reports from different courts and where the capacity issue of, you know, the number for the courtroom permitted family to attend, they are permitted to go. Uh, other thoughts have included separating family to a different overflow space where they wish to attend, and, but nevertheless, the courtroom capacity doesn't allow them to do that. But it's definitely more limited in the number of people who can enter the courthouse to support any particular person. Has it been hard on families to deal with knowing that they can't be in the room with uh, the people? We haven't had cases like that yet, um, but I can imagine it would be, you, you know, this, it, being, coming to court is a stressful time for anyone and not being able to have your regular supports sitting with you and, you know, literally right next to you, not six feet apart is hard. Yeah. And sitting in an overflow room is not the substitute for seeing that person sitting next to you or behind you. Has, for your clients, has it been an in, do you think there's been like an increased level of anxiety specifically due to the procedures of the court going forward? Well, I think there's increased anxiety in terms of what happens to their case. So when the courts initially shut down from COVID, we actually didn't have an answer of what would happen next, whether cases would be heard on their scheduled time or whether they would be given a, a one-month date or a two-month date. Since that time, the court has begun doing more matters virtually, and so there is a little less anxiety about the case just being stalled. And then the, uh, the last question I always ask people um, is, are you hopeful? And that can either be for your jobs or for yourself or for however you want to interpret that. Yeah, I'm hopeful. I think that um, 
people are trying to do their best to manage the really difficult decisions that are being made. I think they're also learning lessons so that if COVID comes back again, we won't fall into the same um, traps that we've fallen this time. I think that the focus on data is much more increased at this point because they're using it to make better decisions. And I think that's what leads to our safety if this were to come back again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely hopeful. Well, thank you for sharing with me and uh, taking the time to talk to me. Um, yeah, once, once again, this was a moment in history for WCCS podcast. My name is Harrison Zyberg. And for all the people who will listen to this in the near future or uh, down the line, thank you for listening. <laughs>